haters of if you needed another challenge, we're going to break into some new data of why is the workforce happily unmotivated? Employee happiness is higher than it's been in over 30 years, yet the rate of disengaged people at work is almost 70%, which is about where it's been for quite a while. So what does this mean for you getting your team or your company to get things done? How does your team feel differentiated, operate better? What should you do as the leader to make sure this does happen? We'll break all that down and give you some great ideas to focus on with your team coming up next. You found the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast, where we talk about all things leadership because leadership isn't just what you do, it's who you are. So we help to make you a better leader, help keep your sanity, and make your team better so you make more money. So every week we talk about a different topic that helps you do all those things. So hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Tell all your colleagues and friends, and let's get a discussion going on how we can grow together as better leaders. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode. We get into why is the workforce happily unmotivated? That line actually doesn't seem to make sense. What do you mean by happily unmotivated? Like they don't want to be motivated? No, I'm talking about the difference of being happy about their situation in a sense, but not necessarily being motivated or engaged, if you will. Those are two completely different things, and you have to understand that. So let's go down the road of happiness. And first, don't confuse happiness with engagement. In other words, like you look at your team and you see everybody's happy, excited, all of that, happy to be at work or even the project they're working on, but that doesn't translate into engagement. It does not mean that they are bought in, that they are totally motivated. It just means they're happy. And there's a couple of reasons for that. It's something called COVID pay. Now, I'm not talking about some little fund the government gave you to pay them, or even some companies specifically have bonus rewards for COVID pay, depending on what they do. There's some companies out there do that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about in the general sense of the fact that people are just paid more now to do jobs that didn't pay that much before for a number of reasons. One, people started moving around a lot. Another, it, it, people stopped working if they stayed at home and were subsidized to do so. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, we got to get work done. And we had to make pay much, much higher. So a lot of people are getting paid higher than they ever have for doing virtually the same thing they were doing two, three years ago. So that's like the COVID pay effect. Then the job changes. Everybody realizing, hey, I don't need to do the job I was doing before. I can actually replace the income that I had on a job that I actually like better. Again, it doesn't mean they're engaged. It doesn't mean they're motivated. They just like it better. There's less stress, less responsibility, whatever you want to call it, but they have that. And then talk about remote ability, how that's just skyrocketed in people being able to do the same job from home and now um, kind of demanding that. They, they have a better life. They are more motivated. More and more studies are coming out actually supporting that even though you know you have a picture in your head of uh, i know they're at home i know they're in their pj still i know they're watching netflix while they should be on the computer or whatever but the fact is remote workers they don't have to get ready for work and let's face it it's 
It's a lot more work for women. Guys, most, most guys don't wear makeup. Most guys don't have to do their hair a lot. They don't really think about their ensemble they're wearing, which goes, there's a lot more thought into that for women. They don't have to get in that rush hour traffic. They don't, it, there's a whole host of things that are just taken away, which really means there's more time for them in their own personal lives. So that remote ability is a huge driving factor of happiness. So why isn't an increase in happiness changing engagement? You got to ask yourself a couple of crucial key questions here. So number one is what your teams give equals get equation. I talk about this a lot in previous podcasts, but this really goes to every single person of what is, you know, you talk about, which I don't like the term work-life balance. It's more work-life integration, but what are you giving in order to get what you want? And is that worth it? In other words, are you happy to be at work and then happy to go home? You, you, you have both worlds doing well, understanding that, well, you may have to give way more in one place in order for the other place to thrive. And are your people actually answering that question? The give equals get equation for them is what they're giving equal to what they're getting. And that could be something in the future, uh, future promotion, higher pay down the road, more challenging projects, whatever, whatever it is versus time away from home, time away from their kids, time away from other things they'd like to be doing in life and they can't do it. And you have to kind of know that you have to have discussions that make you realize their give equals get is making sense. Another question is, are your people really your biggest asset? Every company claims that. I think every department wants to say that all of that, but are they really like truly? And that comes from what are your actions, not what you're saying, not some cute little poster on the wall, and certainly not that once a year meeting where it's actually talked about, but are they really your biggest asset? Do you really treat them that way? Another question is, what is the way forward in terms of career advancement and financial status? If there's no uh, no direction to go, or once you say uh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train, is it that, or is it some kind of reward later, whether it is a uh, higher level status, more responsibility, which you know, generally does come with better financial status for sure, I would hope, but is that accurate? Is that true? How are you led? And this is a crucial question for leaders. How are you led? Because that's going to determine mostly how you lead. A lot of companies fall victim to this, to where they look at their managers with some tough love mentality simply because they're managers and they don't realize they're human too. And they're motivated by the same kind of things as your frontline execution uh, associate would be motivated by. But because they're managers, they think, oh, well, they should just know. They should just be thinking about this. They should just be working on this. They should be setting the standard. And there's a, there's a level of truth to all of that. But managers are still human beings and they're still motivated by some of the same things that everybody else is. And when you don't treat them like that and you have this duality of leadership, meaning one way for the leadership and one way for the execution level employees, it's kind of hard to break that cycle and for you to lead the way you know you should. So maybe you're thinking you can just you know be positive, just, you know, just 
be happy all the time and everybody else will be. Well, check out podcast number 109 and you'll find that, you know, humans aren't really built for that. That is actually not a normal thing to be positive and happy all the time because there is the 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 day-to-day grind, the world winner, all these things taking away from what you're trying to accomplish. And you're not going to just sunshine your way out of this. That's not how that works. And you have to acknowledge some true obstacles people are facing today. Number one, the pay gap with upper upper leadership, you know, the CEO level, right? And I know you're saying, well, what are, are we going to get into some, you know, socioeconomic debate? Well, yes and no. Uh, you know, I'm a capitalist and I'm not going to sit here and say what should change or what shouldn't. But you have to acknowledge the fact that people on the upper levels are doing very, very well. And people on the lower levels, even though they're getting paid more, aren't. And here's why. Because unfortunately, in the past couple of years, the cost of just about everything you can think of has skyrocketed. So what happens with people who earn more and make more? They just pay it. They might adjust their lifestyle a little bit, but generally they just pay it. They're just like, okay, I can, I can deal with it. I can afford it. But a lot of people can't. And that just makes that discussion a lot, lot harder. Another thing is uh, actual people engagement stops, or I don't say stops, that's not a fair, it drops. The higher people are up the food chain on the executive level. In other words, the further away you are as a leader from the actual execution, your engagement with your people stops. You, you almost have this expectation that things are just going to happen and they should be happening. And why aren't they happening? You, you think about if you, if you are a vice president of a division, but you're never in, if you have retail stores, if you're never in a manufacturing plant, if you're never in a distribution center or whatever it is you have that makes your business run and you're not there seeing those things quite often. But then that once in the blue moon, you, you pop in there and you're, you're just, you know, dumbfounded. Why aren't certain things happening? Because your entire world is wrapped up in meetings about what should be happening. Things that other executives are telling you, yes, we've developed this program and we've worked on this and this should be executed over here. And then you go and show up finally and it's not happening. And you, you I don't understand how could this, but you have no clue what's preventing that. You don't know what the message was from your executive level down to that level. And you don't, if there's no accountability for it, People are going to move on. They got too much to do. So you come out with these great new little programs. If people don't have time to do them, they got to do their day job. They don't have time for that stuff. So you have this engagement drop the higher you are, and you need to realize that. And that can occur even if you're a leader in a smaller group, because if you're not zeroing in on that execution level stuff, and really that's all behavior driven. If you look at it from all different angles, not just what is that person doing, but how is that person led? What are the expectations? What are the repercussions when those expectations aren't met? Do we just say, oh, well, that's so-and-so. What are you going to do? Or do we really have that discussion? So that gap continues to grow when you're not really focused in on that. And how are you engaging remotely? As I said before, and everybody knows this, that remote work has increased exponentially. But how do you keep somebody feeling important? How do you keep your culture when they're not around? I mean, yeah, you see them on your computer screen. Maybe you got a Teams meeting, maybe you got a Zoom call, whatever. But it's different when they're not around you. I mean, think about it this way. Think about it socially right now, really past five, 10 years, where social media is really driven 
the dating scene. I know you're thinking, okay, what is this? You know, let's not wrap dating with work, but it's kind of the same concept where back in my day, back in the 1900s, we didn't have social media to connect with people. You actually had to have communication skills and you had verbal and you had body language and you know you had all those kinds of things and you would have to woo someone literally to get them to go out with you and that was it that's all you had you had those skills or you didn't you either did or you didn't and it's it's the kind of the same thing playing out if you think about it that you're not around these folks and, and it's the same way in your direction like you're not getting the verbalization from them or the body language cues or whatever, either the work is done or it's not, you know, it's very, very hard to connect and you have to come up with ways to protect your team culture. Even if somebody's not in your physical location all the time, that is very, very hard to do. And a, another thing you really have to address, and this is a hard one because it's kind of, it's really out of your control, but it's something you really do have to think about. And that is the, what's the use syndrome. When you think about millennials and Gen Z and their financial future, I mean, I'm a Gen Xer, okay? So if that's you, uh, you know, our, our goal was to work our butt off immediately, get a house immediately, get the car immediately, but take vacations later, experience life later. We'll get to that when we get to that. And the generation before us was even worse in that direction that vacations like true trip vacations were just a, an absolute luxury and you're just lucky if you ever had one or ever went on one where this upcoming generation is kind of reversing the script on that where they really you know they get a bad rap they think oh they're just lazy they don't want to work or whatever well everybody in all these groups have that but what their real focus is on is life experiences like truly going and seeing it doing it being there and having those experiences before they get too old and not able to do it. And you hear those quintessential stories of people who worked all their lives for four or five decades, finally retired, dropped dead. Never really got to go do a thing or very little. And so the focus shift is different. So when you have all that and then you kind of start to couple that with crazy college debt, you have home prices through the roof. You know, how do you how do you rectify all that? Because that's a real thing that is on their minds uh, of those two groups is there's no denying it. They, they really think about that. And it's like, well, who created that problem? You know, them, society, us, the system, if you will. I'm using air quotes, the system. But and you're thinking, well, why is that my problem as just a leader in this company? And, it, you know, you can't solve all that stuff, but you have to know it's there and it's a reality. You know, two of the four things I just mentioned probably can't be changed by you at all, but they're things you got to give some acknowledgement to and understanding. So let's talk about the pay gap I just mentioned. You know, start having some conversations if that comes up like, hey, what are you looking for? No, seriously, having conversations about, you know, if that's not their goal, they kind of don't get to be mad about that or, how can you help them be more marketable without losing their soul? Like they have to, why you know, they have to answer the question. Why should somebody pay them? Are they a subject matter expert in something? Are they constantly improving? I mean, that's how you or anybody be really becomes, uh, you know, and I want to say this in a sense, but recession proof in that you've always got skills you can use to do something else. 
and you continue to grow and expand yourself and become something more than you were even in the past year or the past two years. And if you're not focusing on those things, well, you know, when that, when that subject comes up about pay gap and things like that, that's the next conversation you should be having because those are the conversations we had in our generation much younger. It's like, hey, well, what are you, what are you trying to accomplish? You don't get to whine about not having stuff if that's not your goal. But if you want to go out to eat at every little cool little restaurant and pay five to eight bucks of a beer instead of buying a six pack of sand, well, that's that's your prerogative, but don't whine about it. You know, those are some things that they have to understand. It's like, okay, hey, you can live the life you want to live, but there's consequences either direction. So another thing is when you really start talking about their total financial picture, it's the how we live versus now. You know, so many people right now are saying college is a scam. And I tend to believe that to a degree. Now, it depends on, you know, it, for me, the part that is a scam, number one, is how much it costs. But two, why are you redoing basic education courses you just did in high school? It, it's ridiculous. Let's get into what you need to know. So if you're going to be a lawyer, let's just get into the law. If you want to be a doctor, let's get into the biology. Let's get into the medicine. You shouldn't be taking remedial math if that has nothing to do with what you're learning. So you're, you're going to marketing degree, all that stuff. Why are you doing gen ed courses? So on that level, I do wholeheartedly agree college is a scam that you just can't get to what you need to get to. But the fact is, everywhere you go apply, you better have one, better have a degree. You, you, you want to get in a good corporate level job. You can have decades of experience, but for whatever reason, they don't believe you. But if you have that degree, boy, they believe you. So you got to have it. So that's a real thing of uh, a, a rub, you know, something that is just not, it doesn't make sense in a sense that you have to have it, how much it costs and how much half of it is a waste of time. So, but the fact is it's, it's true. I mean, I know this is a lot of work stuff, but it, it does relate to how they work. And this is where you truly get to understand and start to know your people when you start to transition from how do we convert this happiness into engagement? I mean, your team culture engagement can't just be about work. It's the person. Yeah, you can you talk about that all the time, the, the work side of it, but like I said before, with the, like the duality of leadership with, with managers being treated differently, we're all human beings. We, we can't, we're, we're a whole person. We're not a robot. So if you don't start really, I'm not saying, look, you, you do some mental evaluation. I'm not saying you become Dr. Phil, but there's little things you can sprinkle in there just to get to know your people. And you start to really understand where they're coming from. It's the whole person you have to really know and appreciate. So if you're going to say, are people our biggest asset? How the heck can you not know about their kid's softball game or baseball game on a Saturday? Like you're totally disinterested in that? Then your people can't be your biggest asset. That's not how that works. Your, your, your people can't be your biggest asset just when they produce. That's not how, how humans work. So one thing you may acknowledge is their particular needs might not be they might not be met at your company or maybe your entire company can't do it, but they work in a great place within your company. I think about the book from Ken Blanchard, Gung Ho, where the whole story premised around one 
amazingly functional department that a leader sort of found uh, because everybody else is ignoring it. That's why I say found. And then she was able to learn lessons from that department that bled into all the other departments and they changed everything. So you can, even if your entire organization maybe isn't in, you know, focused on engagement and really celebrating people, but in your little world, you can. So remember, I said, don't confuse happiness with engagement because they're not the same thing. It starts with that, sure, the happiness part, but the engagement is how do you get them to want to really perform for you? You know, or people always make the joke of bleeding, whatever your company color is, you know, I bleed green, I bleed blue, whatever it is. Um, how do you get people to do that? So I want you to think about this. Think about these two statements. Your team's commitment will be directly influenced by their level of importance. And your team's level of importance is directly influenced by the level of commitment to them. You see the correlation there? In other words, don't expect, if you're at a higher level in your company, the people who are not at your level to be on an ownership level that you're on or care as much as you do. Especially if you're like, you own a small company and people work for you, to think that they're going to care as much as you do is ridiculous. They're not going to. But you can slowly start to make that work if you really understand what I just said. So let me say it one more time. Your team's commitment will be directly influenced by their level of importance. That's step one. Like how important are they? So when you say, uh, you know, our people are our biggest asset, what does that really mean? Do they really feel that? Do they feel like, man, if so-and-so, they, they stop working, they stop coming in, we're doomed. And we appreciate them and we know them as a person. We know what's driving them, what's going on in their personal lives for a little bit. You don't need to know everything, but enough to know them as a person, not just worker bee. And then the second part of that, your team's level of importance is directly influenced by your level of commitment to them. Do they feel like they make a difference? Somebody has to tell them. They, they're not waiting for the quarterly report to come out. They, they did their job. They moved on and went home. It's your job as the leader to make sure they understand that, that what they do matters. Because if they didn't matter, why do you have them? It doesn't even make sense if you think about it. They have to know they matter. And that's what everybody really wants. To know they matter, to know they made a difference, to know that the team is better, the, the company is better, that, that they contributed. And if they can't answer that question, you're always going to be paying people to guess. So, you know, no, you can't solve everybody's problems in life and, and or their life choices, but you can directly influence your team's engagement by focusing on your team's importance. And if you start going down that road little by little, you'll start to move that needle of engagement to a higher and higher level. And people will be the person you would wanna work for. So what did we learn today? 
how did you grow just a little bit? Or more importantly, how can you help someone else grow? That's the whole point of Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, hit that subscribe button. Tell all your colleagues and friends and neighbors all about the show. Give us comments, feedback, things like that. We will grow together and we will see you next week on the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast.